0: everyone and welcome to another episode of my basic, free, my free basic cooking course, whatever you want to call it. In this lesson, we will be taking a look at some basic ingredients and pantry staples. This is actually part one of four. This is going to be a lot of information, but there's a lot of really good information in here too. We're going to take a deep look into a bunch of ingredients that you probably already have on hand and some that maybe you should. We're going to look at different varieties of common ingredients and best uses um yeah and like i said this episode is broken into multiple parts so we'll i haven't decided i'm going to bang this all in one episode we'll see how long it gets um i might do it in one two or even four we'll see anyway i'm chef ben this is food and five let's get to it this is understanding ingredients beans you know the magical fruit there are at least 40,000 varieties of beans in the world. Obviously, we are not going to talk about all of them. Instead, let's look at some. Let's look at them as a whole. Then we'll take a look at a few uh, common varieties. Beans are generally purchased either dried or canned. Canned beans are already cooked and can be added to a recipe with little to no preparation. They generally just need to be drained and rinsed. Dried beans, on the other hand, must be rehydrated prior to cooking. Now, the easiest way to rehydrate beans is to cover them with cold water and put them in the fridge overnight. The beans are then cooked until tender. There's also a quick soak method, uh, which is to soak the beans, cover them with water. So, this is, this is the quick method. You just cover them with water, bring them to a boil, and cook for five minutes. Cover the pot, remove from the heat, and let them sit for an hour and a half. Then cook as desired. Are dried beans or canned beans better? Well, you may be wondering why anyone would buy dry beans and have to go through the trouble of soaking them when canned beans exist and are ready to use. The fact is that canned beans are often very soft and quickly lose their integrity when cooked. Dried beans, on the other hand, typically hold their shape and bite a bit better when cooked. Some people also claim that canned beans have a different flavor. I think as long as you buy good quality, good quality canned beans, this will never be an issue. So is one better than the other? I think in general, dried beans are better. I mean, you have more control over the cook. There's not any preservatives in them, and I don't think there's usually preservatives in canned beans, but there might be. Having said that, I keep both on hand. I have dried beans and canned beans. And I'm going to be honest with you, I use canned beans more than dry because I don't often plan ahead enough to use dried beans. But dried beans are a great option. They're also easier to store. Uh, They take up less space, and you can keep them for a very long time. common types of beans, black beans. Uh, Black beans have a dense, meaty texture and are commonly used in Mexican, Cajun, and Indian cuisine. They go very well with heavy-flavored dishes like curries. Black beans hold their texture very well when cooked. Uh, They can be used either dried or canned. Cannellini beans. Cannellini beans are most popular in Italian cuisine. They're commonly served with fish or seafood and in soups. When cooked, cannellini beans have a soft texture almost like a cooked potato. However, these large white kidney beans do overcook easily and can become very mushy. But that can be used uh, to your advantage as well because a really good bean puree is fantastic with uh, with fish or all kinds of things. Now, I find that these are best to use from dried rather than canned because they do get very soft from the canned. Garbanzo beans, also known as chickpeas, Garbanzo beans are more commonly known as chickpeas, as I've just said. Most people will know chickpeas because they are used to make hummus and falafel. However, they are also fantastic in soups, curries, and braises. They can also be ground into flour and used for a variety of purposes. Uh, Chickpeas can be used either canned or dried. Canned chickpeas are better for making hummus. Dried, soaked, and cooked chickpeas are better for making falafel. For all other purposes, either dried or canned will do. Red kidney beans. Kidney beans come in a variety of sizes and colors. We've already talked about white kidney beans or cannellini beans. And now we're going to talk about red kidney beans. Red kidney beans are most commonly used to make chili and hold up well to long cooking times. Like white kidney beans, the red variety gets soft and fluffy inside when cooked. Canned kidney beans can be overcooked and too soft. However, they will still work in most dishes. Use either canned or, or dried. Now just to clarify something, I said and I don't want to get any flack for this, but I said that uh, red kidney beans are most commonly used in chili. I live in Canada. I know that most of you listening are not from Canada. Most of you are in the States, and I know that in the States, in some parts of the U.S., you guys don't put beans in your chili. We always do. I've never in my life had chili that didn't have beans in it. So I, I understand if you don't put beans in your chili, that's fine. What I do, and I will will until I die. Okay, let's move on. Navy beans. Navy beans are a type of small white bean that is most commonly used for baked beans and soups. They hold up very well to long cooking times. Canned navy beans tend to be very soft, so I prefer to use dried for most purposes. Pinto beans. Pinto beans are very common in northwestern Mexican and the southern United States. They are they are commonly used to make refried beans as well as soups, stews, and braises. Pinto beans have a very soft texture when cooked, which makes them perfect for mashing. Excuse me. They're also a very flavorful bean used either canned or dry. Rice. Rice is the seed of a certain type of grass that, can, that has been cultivated for thousands and thousands of years. It is used by cultures all around the world and eaten daily by billions of people. After sugar and corn, rice is the third most popular, most commonly produced agricultural product on the planet. Think about that. That's a lot of rice. Rice is sold dried, either parboiled or not. Parboiled rice is rice that has been partially cooked and then dried again. This rice takes less time to rehydrate and cook than standard rice. Now, there are over 40,000 varieties of cultivated rice and at least an additional Fifty thousand that are not generally cultivated despite this there are only a few varieties that you will come across though there are many 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 different varieties of rice and we will get into some of the specific ones in a minute there are a few categories that most fall into they are long grain medium grain and short grain long grain rice long grain rice varieties generally have a low starch content or lower starch content than the other two categories Because of this, the grains generally don't plump like some other rice. Uh, You most commonly find long grain rice in Indian cuisine. Rice in this category includes basmati, jasmine, and basic white rice, which is usually one of those varieties. When cooked, these rice varieties generally have a soft, fluffy texture. Medium grain rice. Medium grain rice is more short and stout than long grain rice. Due to a higher starch content, medium grain rice varieties have a tendency to stick together more. The higher starch content also gives these rice varieties a more firm texture than long grain varieties. Medium grain rice varieties include Arborio, Carnaroli rice, and Bomba rice. The first two in this list are most commonly used to make risotto, and the third variety is used to make Spanish paella. Short grain rice. Short grain rice varieties have the smallest grains and the highest starch content. These types of rice are generally very sticky and gelatinous. The most common type of short grain rice is simply known as sushi rice or sticky rice, and is of course used to make sushi. This method of um, breaking down rice based on grain size is surprisingly unscientific. Depending on the source of your information, medium and short grain may be interchangeable. So don't rely too much on the exact category the rice falls into. Just remember that if you want rice that is light and fluffy, look for a long grain variety rice with a higher starch content, get a shorter variety. Potatoes. I have written quite a bit about potatoes and all the ways that you can prepare them. Um, But when I talk about potatoes, people are often surprised about the fact that I mentioned that there is a right potato for each job. Just like there is a right potato, there are many wrong potatoes for a job, too. Now, there are three main categories of potatoes. They are waxy varieties, mealy, a.k.a. starchy and flowery, varieties uh, and all-purpose varieties as well that fall somewhere between waxy and mealy. Now let's take a look at all three categories and what the best use for each is. Before I get into this, I should point out that there are over 4,000 varieties of potatoes. I'm not going to name them all. I'm going to focus on the potatoes that you are likely to see in the grocery store every day. And to be fair, I can't name more than, I don't know, 10 types of potatoes, if that. Uh, If you want to really get into it, go check out Peru. They have so many really cool, interesting potatoes. Waxy potatoes. Waxy potatoes are varieties that have high moisture content and low starch content. They generally have smooth skin and shiny flesh. Waxy potato varieties include fingerlings, new potatoes, red bliss, as well as a host of others you've probably never heard of and are unlikely to encounter. Waxy potatoes tend to have a more potato-centric flavor than mealy potatoes. However, their true benefit comes from the fact that they hold their shape when cooked. This makes them the perfect potato for soups, chowders, potato salads, or layered potato dishes like scalloped potatoes or, or potato gratin. They are also great roasting potatoes, having a bit more bite than a mealy potato. Mealy potatoes. Mealy, or starchy potatoes, as opposed to waxy varieties, are lighter and more fluffy due to their high starch content and low moisture. This makes them great for mashed potatoes, french fries, and baked potatoes. Mealy varieties include russets, blue-purple potatoes, some red-skinned potatoes, and Idaho potatoes if you're in the States. Mealy potatoes tend to have a more neutral flavor that takes well, that takes well to the addition of other flavors like cream and butter in mashed potatoes or ketchup on fries. All purpose potatoes. All purpose potatoes fall in between waxy and mealy varieties. The most common potato in this category is the Yukon Gold. It will pretty much work in any application, it has a great flavor. There are other potatoes that fall into this category as well, but it's likely that you won't really run into them. I should say that even though russet potatoes are a little more on the mealy side, I do tend to think of them and use them as an all purpose potato. I've never had an issue with them. A quick note on potato varieties. It should be known that, to my knowledge, there are no scientific rules for what classifies a waxy, mealy, or all-purpose potato. Because of this unscientific approach to the classification, you may find that other sources have some varieties that I've listed as a waxy or mealy in the all-purpose category. The truth is, classification is really just a rough guide to help you get the best results rather than being a hard and fast rule. Onions. Onion is the key ingredient in most key ingredients. What does that mean? Well, I've talked before multiple times about how most major world cuisines have a flavor base. In French cooking, it's mirepoix, which is a combination of two parts onions, one part celery, and one part carrot. Spanish, Portuguese, and Italian cooking have sofrito, which is some combination of onions, tomato, and bell peppers. In Cajun and Creole cooking, there is the Holy Trinity, which is onion, bell peppers, and celery. Even in Indian, cooking there are onions, ginger, and garlic, and chili, which is the base of a lot of their dishes. The common denominator in all of these is onion, and there is a good reason for that. Onions are awesome. Now, at this point, it should come as no surprise to you that for me to say that there are a lot of varieties of onions out there in the big wide world. Just like with the potatoes, we are only going to look at onions you are likely to come into contact with on a regular basis. Let's take a look. Yellow onions. The name yellow onions refers to the color of the skin, not the flesh of the onion. Yellow onions are probably the most common onion and the one you are going to use most often. If a recipe says onions, it is probably talking about yellow onions, though most onion varieties would be fine. Yellow onions have a flavor that can range from sharp and pungent to slightly sweet. When cooked, they develop a mild sweetness. Spanish onions are slightly larger and less strong yellow. Uh, and less strong than yellow onion, uh, and better suited to being eaten raw than regular yellow onions. White onions. White onions look very similar to yellow onions, though their skin is lighter and more papery. Their flavor is milder and slightly sweeter than yellow onions. One issue with white onions is that they have a much shorter shelf life than yellow onions. Bedalia onions are a larger white onion with a legal name designation. Vidalia onions must be grown in the area of Vidalia, Georgia. They have a very mild and sweet flavor and a different appearance from other onions in that they are flatter at the root and the stem. They are great for eating raw in salads or on hot dogs or hamburgers. Red onions. Red onions have a flavor that, like yellow onions, can vary from sweet and mild to spicy and strong. However, they are generally sweeter than raw yellow onions. They are often used in raw salads, uh, roasted, grilled, or used on kebabs. Pearl onions. Pearl onions are a small white or red variety of onion more closely related to a leek than a regular onion. They are most often used for pickling and may sometimes be called button onions, baby onions, or creamers. Rather than being a true baby onion, a young onion, they are actually kept small by being planted very close together. Pearl onions are not used that often nowadays. However, they do make a great addition to soups, stews, and braises. Shallots or shallots. I prefer to say shallots. You know, you say shallots, I say shallots. Shallots, (laughs) apparently I can't say anything. Shallots, like pearl onions, are more closely related to leeks and garlic than they are to regular onions. Despite this, Their flavor is not that different from regular yellow onions, except in that they are milder and slightly sweeter. Shallots can be used in the same way regular onions are when a milder flavor is desired. They are terrific minced and used to flavor quick pan sauces. They're also great sliced thin and fried to garnish steaks. Leeks. Leeks are a large green vegetable in the onion family. They look similar to green onions, but are much, much bigger. Their flavor is like a very mild onion, the slightly sweet undertone. Typically only the white and light green parts of a leek are eaten. The green parts are very tough but can be used to flavor stock. Leeks can be used in a variety of ways from being roasted whole to being sliced or diced and sauteed. They make a great addition to soups or stews. In this application they are generally used along with other onions uh, rather than as an alternative. They also go very well with seafood. Scallions or green onions. Green onions, also known as scallions or spring onions, are occasionally salad onions or a member, uh, sorry, they can also be called uh, salad onions, are a member of the onion family that has an underdeveloped bulb. They have a mild flavor and are used in a variety of cuisines in a variety of ways. Green onions can be used either cooked or raw. They can be thinly sliced, diced, or even roasted whole. They are terrific on tacos, in curries, stir fries, and a whole host of other dishes. One common the way that I like to use green onions is to separate the greens from the whites, dark greens from the light greens. I then dice the light green parts and add them to stir fries along with yellow onions and garlic. Then I thinly slice the green parts and use those to garnish the stir fry after it has been cooked. The white bits get very sweet when cooked and add a lot to a dish. Garlic. When most people think of garlic, the first cuisine that comes to mind is usually Italian. As ubiquitous as garlic is in Italian food, cuisines all around the world use it just as much, if not more. It adds flavor to stir-fries, tacos, curries, pasta, and millions of other dishes. Despite its global use, garlic is actually indigenous to Central Asia and Iran. There are a few different types of garlic you may encounter in the grocery store, though the only one likely to be labeled differently than just garlic will be elephant garlic, which, as the name suggests, is much larger than other varieties. In fact, elephant garlic isn't actually garlic at all, but rather a type of leek. When purchasing garlic, look for bulbs with tightly packed and firm cloves. There should be no stems growing from the garlic, though these are safe to eat. In some regions, the greens are left to grow and sold as garlic scapes. That's what we do where I live in the spring. And once you get them home, garlic should be stored in a warm, dry place. Prepared garlic products. There are a lot of prepared garlic products out there. Most of these come in the form of chopped garlic in oil sold in jars. Storing garlic in oil can be dangerous because it carries the potential for botulism, which is an anaerobic bacteria, meaning it doesn't need air to survive. Actually, botulism is a toxin produced by an anaerobic bacteria, but then we're just splitting hairs. Oil creates an airtight seal around the garlic, creating the Perfect environment for botulism to grow. To prevent this, prepared garlic products have to be pasteurized before being sold. This changes the flavor and the nutritional content of the garlic. As convenient as it is, I always recommend not buying these prepared garlic products because they just do not taste as good. Carrots. When we think of carrots, we often think of an orange root vegetable. Though some carrots are orange, there are also purple, red, yellow, white, and black carrots as well. color of a carrot doesn't really have an effect on the flavor. Like other foods, there are a lot of different varieties of carrots. Baby carrots are not one of them. They're just regular carrots that have been shaved and shaped. Despite the diversity of carrots, we generally only have access to one or maybe two types at the grocery store. We'll find the regular all-purpose carrots, usually sold in three to five pound bags. These are long and skinny and have a fairly sweet flavor. There are heirloom carrots that are generally sold in a bunch of six or seven with the greens still attached. These heirloom carrots generally come in a variety of colors and their flavor is less sweet than an all-purpose carrot. Despite the fact that we almost always peel carrots, the whole plant is edible. This includes the leaves and peel. The peel is also where a lot of the carrots' nutrients are stored. I often scrub uh, the carrot clean under cold-growing water and leave the peel intact. This way the carrots' most nutrient-dense area isn't just going in the compost. Leaving the peel on the carrot also gives it a, mer- a more carrot flavor. Carrots stored in the crisper drawer of the fridge can last up to a few months. Celery. Celery comes in a few different forms. At the grocery store, we find celery, which is the stalks of the plant. We also find celery seed and possibly celery root. What's interesting is that all three of these celery products come from different celery plants. When we buy regular celery at the store, it is a variety called Pascal celery. That doesn't really matter because you aren't likely to find any other variety of regular celery. Celery seed, on the other hand, comes from wild celery. The stalks of wild celery are woody and have a very strong flavor. Though edible, wild celery is not very common. Celery root, also known as celeriac, is another variety of celery grown for its bulbous root. It tastes a lot like celery, but has a texture more similar to potato. Celery is best stored in the fridge with the bottom of the stalks cut off and stood up in a bit of water. The water should be changed every two to three days. Celery root should be stored in a crisper drawer for up to a few weeks. Although celery can and is often eaten raw, its real benefit comes from adding flavor, excuse me, to soups and stews. It is one of the three ingredients in French mirepoix, onion, celery, and carrots, we just talked about that, which makes up the base of a lot of French cooking. Celery root should be peeled prior to cooking. It can be mashed with potatoes, roasted or shaved and eaten on salads. It can even be defried and makes great chips. It is also very good in soups and stews. Bell peppers. Bell peppers are members of the capsicum family and are the only member of that family not to produce capsaicin. I think that's how you say it. Capsaicin, I think it's capsaicin, is what makes chili peppers hot. Bell peppers come in a variety of colors, of which red, green, orange, and yellow are the most common. Purple, brown, and white bell peppers may also be seen on occasion, more commonly at the farmer's market than at the grocery store. Now, at the grocery store, we're most commonly going to see red, green, and yellow bell peppers. Although there are some varieties of bell pepper that stay yellow all the time, this is typically not the case with the ones we find in the grocery store. The bell peppers we buy are actually just the same pepper at different stages of ripeness. Green is the youngest and the cheapest. Yellow is in the middle, and red is the most mature. The level of ripeness has a drastic effect on the flavor of the pepper. Green peppers are mildly sweet and slightly bitter, while red peppers are very sweet with little to no bitterness at all. Purple, white, and brown peppers are also a separate variety. When buying bell peppers, look for smooth, shiny skin and firm flesh. Avoid peppers with soft spots or loose skin. Store bell peppers in the crisper of your fridge unwashed. Moisture on the skin will cause them to rot quicker. Wash them just before use. Bell peppers can be eaten raw, roasted, stuffed, grilled, or cooked into soups or stir-fries. When adding them to soups or pasta sauce, put them in around the last third of the cooking time. Adding bell peppers uh, to long cooking dish dishes may cause bitterness. So when you're cooking with bell peppers, like let's say you're making chili or you're making a uh, pasta sauce, don't put them in right in the beginning. Put them in about a third of the way through cooking, or about a third of the way before the cooking ends, so two-thirds of the way through cooking, and this will prevent them from turning your whole dish bitter. Chili or chili peppers. Chili peppers or chili peppers, different spellings, are all our close cousins to bell pepper. The big difference, of course, is that chili peppers are spicy for the most part. The spice comes from capsaicin, there we go again, which is concentrated in the seeds and internal ribs or gills of the pepper. Chili peppers come in a variety of sizes, shapes, colors, flavors, and heat levels. The heat of chili peppers is measured by Scoville units, which is based on the concentration of capsaicinoids. In the Scoville scale, 0 to 700 units is not spicy at all, while anything above 80,000 units is considered very very, very spicy. Just to give you an idea of the levels, a bell pepper falls around zero to 100. A jalapeno can range from 1,000 to 10,000. A habanero and scotch bonnet range from 100,000 to 350,000. The hottest known peppers are are way up between 800,000 and 3.2 million Scovilles. Although we often think of chili peppers as just being hot, each one really does have its own unique flavor. A jalapeno tastes different from a banana pepper or a finger chili. A habanero tastes different than a scotch bonnet. When buying chili peppers, the same principles apply to when buying bell peppers. Look for smooth, shiny skin and avoid peppers with soft spots. When cooking with chili peppers, remove the seeds, ribs, and gills, the white parts on the inside of the pepper, for less heat. Also, heat levels are not standardized, meaning one jalapeno may be considerably hot than another jalapeno. I find the best way to check heat levels is to cut the stem off the pepper and smell it. Don't touch it to your nose. That's a big mistake. Any exceptionally spicy pepper will slightly sting your nostrils where a milder one don't. You should be able to tell right away whether it's really hot or not. So we got through three parts of this today i don't want to go any further because the final part is all meat and fish and it is fairly long so we'll leave that for the next episode but we covered a lot of territory in here we talked about beans rice potatoes onions garlic carrots celery peppers uh, and lots of other stuff i hope that you've enjoyed this episode but more importantly i hope that you learned something from it um there's there's a lot of information i know uh, so we'll be back on Monday with another fantastic episode of food and five. And in that episode, we will talk about meat, uh, and poultry and fish. And that will be the second last episode of the year. Uh, there will be one more episode on Wednesday of next week. And then I am going on a bit of a vacation. I'll be back on January 4th. Um, we'll talk about this a little bit more in some other episodes. Uh, but once we come back in the new year, things are going to be a little bit different. Um, we'll, we'll finish off this course, uh, as, as, as we are, we'll just keep doing the three days a week. And then after that, I think I'm going to cut the podcast back, but once a week, I'm going to bring in a co-host, uh, who's one of my closest friends in the world. Now this is not set in stone. This is just what I'm planning. Uh, Nothing is 100% confirmed. And we're going to bring in a co-host who is one of my favorite people in the world and one of my best friends and also a professional chef. Uh, And he and I will pretty much just pick a few topics and talk about them over the course of a half hour or so. You can get a little more in depth, a little more back and forth, um, some fun banter in there uh, because we pretty much just make fun of each other constantly. So that's what I'm planning for the new year. We'll cut back to once a week um, because I really want to keep doing the podcast but I'm also super busy. Uh, And so I think just cutting back to once a week and bringing more value in that one episode um, will be better for you guys and better for for me. Um, So that's in the new year, but again, we are gonna finish out this course before we do that. And we still have quite a few, I mean, I think we still have five episodes left of this after this one or after this part of the series. So it'll still be a few weeks before we start that, but again, I'm not coming back after Wednesday. I won't be back until January fourth. So I hope yeah, I hope to see you back here then. But again, there's still two more episodes. Anyway, have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. Keep it up. I'm Chef Ben. This is Food and Five. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Chef Ben Kelly. And you can read this uh, you know, all this information and so much more information on my blog, chefsnotes.com. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great one, everybody.